Romans 12, verse 9. There are notes in your bulletin. We invite you to follow along with us as we study the Word of God together. We're talking about the practices of God's righteousness. And last week we examined the initial part of chapter 12, which instructs us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is holy, well-pleasing, and the logical priesthood that we would give back to the Lord. We have a warning not to be conforming or masquerading around in the forms of this world, but to be constantly transformed. That process of continual change, which is accomplished by the Holy Spirit, as we are renewing our minds in the Word of God. The result will be ministry in the body as believers are exercising their spiritual gifts, which are enumerated through verse 8. Now, beginning at verse 9, please, as we go into another area, and that is the matter of love, which is the full expression of our commitment to Christ. If there is that commitment, then there is this love. Let's begin at verse uh, 9, please, of Romans chapter 12, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing diligently in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Will you join with me in a moment of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we again praise your name for all that you are and all that you're doing in our life. Thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the motives and evaluations of our heart. We thank you, Lord, that you're able to change our lives through your word. We pray for those in our audience today that are not really sure of their relationship to God. They don't know that if they would die in this moment, they'd be in the presence of Christ. God, we pray that you'd give them that assurance today. By your Holy Spirit, you'd bring them unto yourself. We pray also, Lord, for every believer. God, strengthen us in your word. Help us to understand the need of this commitment to Christ. We pray that the love of God may be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us that we ask these things. Amen. Nothing like love to encourage a man's heart. The world needs love. And Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one toward another. There is no chapter that I think describes love as clearly as this with the exception of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. But in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, one expects what one reads. 
In chapter 12 of Romans, one does not expect what one reads about love. This chapter hits at some of the sore spots that are in our life, and it's simply telling us that if we're committed to Christ, if we really know what it is to present our body to God as a living sacrifice, if we really want God to use us, then we will have to see this kind of love in our midst. So it's a very beneficial and encouraging chapter as far as I'm concerned. Now, the chapter neatly divides in the original language into two sections. I'd like you to see this initially. In verse 9 to 13, there's only one clear statement, and then there are a bunch of participles or participial phrases that describe it. One statement, which is in verse 9, and then a description. So in verses 9 to 13, you have the characteristics of love or a description of love. But beginning at verse 14 to the end of the chapter, he switches to the imperative mood, commanding us to do things because that love that he has just described is in us. So first we will look at the characteristics of that love and then secondly, the commands of that love as it affects our lives. So first of all, characteristics. I'd like you to notice first in verse 9 the basic principle that is shared with us about love. The basic principle, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now that statement in the Greek simply has the words, the love unhypocritical. It could say, let the love be unhypocritical, or it could say, the love is unhypocritical. And I prefer the last because he then goes on to describe what the love is, meaning unhypocritical. Now, what does it mean to be unhypocritical? I was amazed to discover that this word was often translated to answer in the case of a stage actor who was playing a part. He was playing a role. And the Bible's warning us not to be that way. In other words, the love of God is a word of communication. If you are really loving, you're going to be communicating with someone. And he's warning us about saying words that are merely words and playing a role, play acting, instead of having the real love of God. Have you ever met somebody who you think really loves? I mean, everything that comes out of their mouth, it's encouraging, and you know that they're just in the spirit of love. Now, let's suppose for a moment that you'd really like to love like that. One of you may get a cassette recorder, and while you are listening to this individual share their love, you might secretly be taping the sound of that voice. And then you could put the cassette recorder behind you as you talk to someone, mouthing the words, press the cassette on, and hope to communicate love. I got news for you, it won't work. It won't work. You see, you can say all the right words, but you may not be communicating the love of God. Love is that mysterious thing that God is really in control of. And God is also in control of communication, both from the standpoint of the one who talks as well as the one who receives it. God's controlling that. And if everything isn't right in your heart, no matter how much you want to love, God is not going to benefit the person receiving it because he's in control of both. And that's the mystery about the whole thing. So the simple statement, let love be without any play acting, no role playing here, it's got to be real. It's got to be the truth. It's got to really communicate. Now he will describe it. So the second thing I want you to see in verses 10 to 13 are the continual practices of love. Now every one of these little descriptions is in the present tense, meaning a habit of life. This should be constantly in the lives of believers. 
the love of God must constantly be shared. And he goes on to describe it in five ways, in five specific areas in which the love of God should be continually in our life. First of all, I'd like you to notice in verse 9, as it affects the issue of morality, morality. You cannot separate the issue of morality from the issue of sharing the love of God. Verse 9 says, Abhor that which is evil, cling or cleave to that which is good. Now the word abhor means to hate, and it's put with the word from, meaning to hate from that. In other words, you're going to stay away from it like as far as a 10-foot pole. You're going to keep away from sin and keep away from evil. The love of God is not involved in sin and in evil. You're going to hate it. And secondly, you're going to cling. And this is the common word the Greeks use for our concepts of glue and cement. When they built a structure and they held the stones fast together, the pitch or the cement or whatever they used is this word. So the idea is cement yourself, glue yourself to that which is good. You know, only that which is good really builds up. The love that tears down is not the love of God. This love builds up and it glues itself to that which is good and it stays far away from that which is sin and evil. Now the second thing he wants us to see about love involves motivations. Verse 10, motivations. What you really feel inside of you is very important when you're trying to share love and your ministry to other believers or to anyone. It says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. I was quite surprised at the usage of the word kindly affectioned because that word is used of the love of a physical family, of husband to wife, of wife to daughter, son to father, so forth. It's a love of kindred, the love of relatives, the love of family. And he says among the body of Christ, we're in the family of God. Therefore, he takes that term and says, listen, we ought to love each other just as though we were in the same physical family. Do you believe that? You know, one day God's going to really impress us with it because all of you who are really hung up on marriage right now as being the, the one thing to last forever and ever and ever are going to be surprised when the rapture comes. You know what's going to happen? There's not going to be any marriage anymore. Now, don't cry. Just hang on for a moment. No marriage are given in marriage in heaven. You say, well, what kind of relationship will that be? Well, the real family brothers and sisters in Christ will come to the forefront as it supposedly is to be experienced here. But eventually we will experience what it really is like to be one in Christ and in the family. And every need we have will be met. Every need we have will be completely satisfied. So he's exhorting Christians now, have the love of family in your midst, one to another with brotherly love. But you say, how does that affect motivation? What are you talking about? Well, you look at the last phrase, in honor, preferring one another. Now, the word prefer means to go before or to lead the way. The point is that love will lead the way in showing honor to another brother or sister. The motivation is correct. You're not seeking your own glory. You're seeking the honor of the other brother. And so love leads the way. You don't wait for him to show you honor. You lead the way to show him honor. And this verse is dealing with motivations. If brotherly love is in the midst, in the body, if we really are loving and ministering one to another, then we're seeking the good of the other person. We're seeking to build them up, 
seeking to encourage them, to bestow honor, to bestow respect upon them. And love will lead the way. If love is in your heart, it won't wait around to be asked. It's ready to go. Now, the third thing I'd like you to notice in verse 11 involves the methods of operation. Okay, we're going to love. Now, what is God telling us to do? What's the method? What do we actually do? There are three phrases here that describe it, and they may surprise you. They surprised me in studying it. In verse 11, it says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, let's take the first one. Not slothful in business. I always used to read that, and, and in knowing the context of the passage on love, saying, how does that relate to love? I mean, you know, being diligent at your job. Well, it's not talking about your job. The word business is simply the word for diligence or zeal. And the word not slothful has the idea of not shrinking or failing to do what you know you ought to do. The point of this is if love is working in your heart, it's going to do something. It has to. Listen, friends, a love that does not perform is not the love of God. Man says to his wife, I love you, but never shows it. How do you think that woman responds to him? A lot of words, play acting. If the love of God is in our hearts, it is going to show. It has to show. It has to perform. It can't be shrinking back. It can't be failing to do with diligence what we know we ought to do. The second characteristic here is said, fervent in spirit. Now, the word fervent means to boil. The idea is you're just boiling over with this love. You know, it's, next to get, it's nice to get next to somebody like that. You know, you really don't get burned. It's just nice to feel the warmth of that kind of love. A person who's just boiling over with it. And it's in the spirit, not in spirit, but in the spirit in the Greek text. And that's very important because he's not just talking about a disposition or an attitude, but he's talking about your spiritual life. Because, you see, the love of God is the love of the Holy Spirit. And when you're walking under the control of the Spirit, then that love is boiling over. John wrote in John 7 that the Spirit's ministry was like an artesian well, just springing up with, with water just pouring out, and everybody's you know, running around trying to get a drink from you. And you know and I know when you meet somebody who really loves people, it is great to be around them, isn't it? You just can't hardly wait to get around them. Boiling over. You, you see, when love is working, it's working. It isn't love if it's not working, if it's not operating. What's the reason behind all of this? It's a third phrase. In verse 11, it says, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. The word is being a bond slave to the Lord. And slavery to Christ. You know, often he talks about your job in terms of the employer and employee, like in Ephesians and in Colossians, and he calls it serving the Lord. He speaks about relationships in the family, and he calls it serving the Lord. He talks about a Christian witnessing, and he says serving the Lord. He talks about one Christian helping another Christian, and he calls it serving the Lord. What's the point? Jesus said, if you do it unto one of the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. If you give a cup of cold water in my name, it shall receive a reward. You see, in all of, of love's operations, it has one directive, one objective. It is serving Christ. You minister to someone else, and you are ministering to Christ. You are serving him. Love must perform. It must show service to Christ, which will, in effect, affect everybody. 
The methods of operation are do what you know that God wants you to do. Let that love perform in your life. Be diligent about it. Don't shrink back. Don't fail to do what you know that you should do. Now, I'd like you to see a fourth area in verse 12, and that involves our maturity. The love of God is a mature love. It is not immature. But there are three things that characterize this maturity in love that God has and that he wants to pour through our life. Three little phrases, and they're really good. Number one, rejoicing in hope, literally in the hope, the hope of the Lord's return. I mean, you're excited about it. It could happen at any moment. Do you believe that? I mean, you really do? You know, it's great to be around somebody like that, isn't it? You run into somebody who's really rejoicing in the return of Jesus Christ. It could happen at any moment. It's great to be around that. How does that affect the issue of love? You mean to tell me that love is described by rejoicing in the return of Christ? In what way? Let's move on. Look at the next two phrases and see if we can put the concept together. The second phrase is patient in tribulation. Patient means to bear up under. Right now, there may be a heavy load on your shoulders. I don't know what you're going through. Some real tension, some real pressure, some real problems. If you've got the love of God, man, love can really take it. You ever notice that, husbands and wives? Love can really take it. If love's there, you can endure a lot. Just look at who you married. You know, you really can. If love is there, you can endure an awful lot. It bears up under tribulation. The word tribulation is mental and emotional pressure primarily. And we all go through that. Tremendous mental and emotional pressure and anguish in our lives. When true love is there, you can bear up under it. Now, why? Because you're rejoicing in the hope. I was talking with a Christian friend this week, and we got laughing about it. You know, we, we get so hung up on, on things we want to do, you know, unaccomplished goals. So many goals and dreams and plans, and we never get them done. You know there are going to be a lot of un unaccomplished goals in your life and mine when the Lord comes? You know, if he comes right at the end of this service, you know, all of your plans and your dreams cut off in a moment of time. Now, are you sad about that? Or are you happy about the Lord's return? You know, you've got a lot of problems, and I've got a lot of problems that aren't solved yet. You notice that? You know if the Lord comes, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference whether they are. Isn't that wonderful? I told the kids this morning, some of them got exams and tests, you know. Wouldn't it be great to know you wouldn't have to take it? The Lord's coming. Man, you could live in the excitement of this. See? Patient in tribulation. What's the third phrase? This is very important. Continuing diligently in prayer. Now, the word continuing diligently means be strong towards the prayer. Now, I find a lot of us are being weak towards the prayer, and we wonder why we're not mature in love. You see, the whole thing is put together. Rejoicing in the return of Christ. He could come at any moment. So whatever you're going to do, do it now. Be diligent to do it, not slothful. The Lord is coming. You're rejoicing in that hope, and the love's just pouring out of your life because you're going to be in heaven forever with these people. Why not share a little good thing now with them, see? Minister to people in love. And this will cause you to be patient. You can endure a lot. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, concerning the members of the body, in verse 3, forbearing one another in love. The word means put up with one another. Now, you know, sometimes we have to do that, don't we? 
Now, if I asked you to think of a person right now who really rubs you the wrong way, I bet you could. Real fast. One just crossed your mind, just like that. You know, it's amazing. God wants you to love everybody in the body, but always when there's someone who isn't exactly in my particular category of social friends, it's very difficult to love them. The love that rejoices in the hope of Christ's coming that knows that that brother is going to be in heaven with me and he'll be changed, thank God. I will now love him. See? Oh, this could change your whole attitude. Some of us are so hesitant about loving anybody else that's, you know, just not our kind of people. Forget that. Love everybody. Minister to everybody. Because, listen, the Lord's coming. And it'll cause you to endure a lot. Put up with a lot of people. Some of those ugly members of the body. Of course, it's always somebody else, isn't it? Would never be us, would it? We need to love each other. And we need to understand that love must perform. These are the characteristics that describe it. But if it's going to be mature, you better be strong towards prayer. Prayer. If you are weak towards prayer, you in no way will experience God's love as you should. There's something important here, praying about one another, you know? You want to minister to somebody, you want to love it, start praying for them. Pray, pray about them. Pray for their needs. Be strong towards prayer. When you meet that person, man, your whole attitude will be changed. You've been praying for them. Be strong towards prayer. Now, people often say, well, you know, I just don't feel like praying. You know I don't either. Some mornings I get up and I just can't stand it. I sneak into that little office of mine and I'm mad at the Lord already. I'm grouchy. I'm upset. And I know if I read that Bible, he's going to convict me. I mean, he's like that. I mean, he's tricky. He does it all the time. Drives me crazy. And so I get in there and I, and I don't feel like praying. And I, and I almost feel like telling the Lord, Lord, I shall wait till I am filled with the Spirit, and then I shall pray. I know just sure, as soon as I say it, I'm wrong. And sometimes I just have to talk to the Lord that way. I wander around that office, look out in the backyard, and I say, Lord, I don't want to pray this morning. I know you want me to pray. I just don't want to pray. You know, don't bother me. You know, the longer I talk to him and just pour out my heart before you know it, God's ministered to me. It's a wonderful thing. Listen, when you don't want to pray, that's the time to pray. When you want to pray, that's the time to pray. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Just tell God everything that's going on inside. Tell him how you feel. Listen, before you know it, God will change your insides. He'll just twist you all around. He'll get you going the way he wants you to be going. Prayer, you see, is indicating our confidence and trust in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in his coming. I know I've got to do today. I can't be slothful. I've got to minister in love. I'm going to put up with things because I know the Lord is going to come, and I'm going to continue diligently. I'm going to be strong towards prayer because I've got to trust God to pour his love through my heart. The whole thing's related, see. Now, the fifth thing we want to look at is involving your ministry to others. That's verse 13 your ministry to others. There are two things that are said here that are very important. The first thing that is said is distributing to the necessity of saints. In our ministry to other believers, we are to distribute to the necessity of saints. Now, the word distribute is our old friend koinonia, which means fellowship. It appears all the time in the Bible. Fellowship it means to share in common. The Bible says, sharing the necessity, which is the normal word used for needs. Sharing the needs of the saints who are believers. Sharing the needs of believers. 
Some people translate, put your money where your mouth is. Isn't it amazing how we're always trusting they or an organization or some government or something else to meet the needs rather than an individual who loves stepping forth and saying, God wants me to use my money, my possessions, my substance, my things in this life to minister to somebody who's in need. You know, nothing can thrill your heart more. I hope you will unleash all that uh, stubbornness and, and uh, miserliness. Get, get rid of it all and just crash that and, and smash it to the ground and open up your life to giving to people who are in need. I don't mean haphazardly. The Bible says to the needs of the saints, to the believers. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where the Christian is obligated to give money to the non-believing world. I don't read that once in the Bible. Now, I may do that in order to win a man to Christ. I'll tell you that right now. But I do read in the Bible that believers are responsible to other believers in this matter. And we need to share very definitely in one another's needs. And you know, nothing thrills your heart anymore. Nothing excites you anymore than to give to a brother in need and see his response. I want to leave with you a little verse out of Luke. Jesus said, Make to yourselves friends with the money of unrighteousness, meaning it has no righteous quality to it. Money is an inanimate object. It depends on how you use it. Make to yourselves friends with the money of unrighteousness then when, then when it fails, when your money runs out, they, meaning the people you made friends with, will receive you in everlasting dwelling places. That's quite a statement. That means when you get to heaven, some folks are going to be glad to see you. Hi, John. Oh, man, I just praise God. For, you remember when you met my need back there? You know, down there on planet Earth over there in Long Beach? I remember that. That was really something. I really had a need, and you did. That really blessed me. Oh, hey, it was my thrill. Praise the Lord. Hey, isn't it great up here? Sure is. You're going to have friends, the Bible says, by using money. The people say money can't buy friends. Well, I know what you mean by that when the motivation is wrong, but money can buy friends. Not in the sense of buying them for your own, using them as things, but in the sense of ministering unto them, to giving them what they need and helping them. And individual believers, instead of looking to organizations, one another, see. If a brother has shared a need and the Lord has laid it on your heart, then minister to them. Give it. And don't wait until you have the money. If you wait till you have the money, you'll never do it. The second thing that I learned here about our ministry one to another, he says, given to hospitality, verse 13. Given to hospitality. The word given means to pursue, to seek after eagerly. It's also translated persecute. Well, you look at your Bibles carefully, and I want to show you something that I found very interesting. I want to see what you think about it. In verse 13, the word given is the word to pursue. In verse 14, the word persecute is the same word. Same word. The word just means to seek after something eagerly. If you're going to do somebody harm and you're seeking after them, that's how it comes to mean persecute. But I wonder, and I wonder with you, just think with me a little bit. I wonder since it's the same word if it isn't talking about the same thing. Watch this carefully. In verse 13, you are given or pursuing hospitality verse 14 bless those who are pursuing it meaning what 
meaning to bless those who have ministered unto you in the case of hospitality. has nothing to do with persecution. Kind of a neat little thing. But let's look at this matter of hospitality. There are two ways that you can use for, uh, two words for hospitality. One is, like you see so often in the Middle East, anyone who comes by the home, you know, hi, how are you? Have a meal. Great. Uh, where are you going? Oh, going down the road here. Well, it's great to see you. There's that kind of hospitality. But this word is the word literally translated the love of strangers. You love to be hospitable. It's not the kind of thing where you say, let's have Mr. and Mrs. Smith over at our house. After all, it's our turn. Or they had us over, let's have them over. Or let's have it because they want us to. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about loving it, getting excited about it, having people into your home because you want to minister to them. You're excited about it. You want to share your love with other people. That's a wonderful thing. And listen, when we have the ministry of the body of Christ going, number one, you're sharing your finances, your possessions, everything with the needs of other believers. And two, you're inviting them into your home. You're hospitable. You love strangers. Not just the people that are your social friends, people you don't know. You're, you're going out to them and constantly wanting to minister to them. Now, beginning with verse 14, he starts dealing with commands. No longer describing love, but now he's commanding us to do things. And I want, to, want you to look at it in two major areas. First of all, in verses 14 to 16, I want you to see these commands in relationship, in your relationships with others. Relationships with others in the body of Christ. And there are just three things I want you to see here. Three simple truths that I think will really be a blessing to you. I hope so, as they have been to me. Number one in verse 14, here they are. Simple little rules that God's given to us in our relationships one with another in the body of Christ. Number one, seek to build up, not tear down. Seek to build up, not to tear down. Verse 14, he says, bless them who persecute you. And again, remember that's the same word given. Bless them who are pursuing. Pursuing what? Pursuing the hospitality in the context. Bless them. Somebody, let's say, invites you over to their home today. You have a great time in their house. They've been very kind and cordial. And you're walking out, your door, out the door. And you turn to your wife and you say, Now I wonder why they had us over. Folks, you will kill the spirit of love in one moment of time. Well, I suppose they want us to come over now. Have them over to our house. What were they trying to do? Just impress us? Those kind of attitudes, people will destroy your relationships with other members of the body. Bless them. Say, man, thank you so much. God bless you. I can't tell you how much it meant to me to be with you today. Praise the Lord. Build them up. Don't tear them down. He says, don't curse. Don't curse. Don't discourage people. Build them up and thank God for the ministry they're having. Now, number two, in terms of relationships with others, number two, Share the emotions of others. Share the emotions of others. We rarely see this. This is very important. Verse 15, he says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Oh, this is a precious thing. Have you ever been excited about something? I mean, just you're really thrilled about it. Something happened to you, and you are so excited, and you come up to somebody, you say, 
You know, God just gave me the greatest blessing I've ever had in my life. The other Christian says, oh, I've had that before. Now, at that point, you really feel lousy because evidently you're immature. You lost control of yourself in a moment of emotion, you know, and you should have known that everybody else is having this wonderful experience. Oh, nothing can rip apart the love that we have in the body is something like that. Or somebody's really got a heartache and they're weeping and they're crying and you're trying to say, now be strong, be stable. You don't need to cry. There's no reason for it at all. That's ridiculous. Weep with them that weep. Rejoice with them that rejoice. You know we're all different emotionally. I mean, some of you are like Mr. Blah. We couldn't get you to laugh if we, you know, tickled you an hour. And we couldn't get you to cry if we gave the tragic story. You're just the same all the time. And we appreciate your steadiness. See? There are people like that. Now, some of you are so emotional, I mean to tell you, we hardly know what the truth is and what you're saying. I mean, you're just gushing all the time. Folks, the point of this is recognize that we are different in the body. Recognize that we're different and love people. You know what made the prophet Ezekiel such a tremendous man of God? He said, I was able to weep with those that weep. He said, I sat where they sat. Learn to identify with people and the emotions they're experiencing. If he's happy, praising, praise the Lord with him. Had something funny happen after the first service. One of our ladies that went out saw me in the uh, back uh, in this room here just passing through. She said, well, let's see you rejoice. She said, I just got a new refrigerator. You know, I had told her before that I had to pr pronounce the benediction on the one she had. It was the most horrible thing I ever saw. Something out of the late century, I think. But anyway, uh, she's so excited about her new refrigerator. I said, praise the Lord for a new refrigerator. And somebody was walking through there, and they said, boy, that's a funny application. But you know, we need to do this, folks. We're so uptight with one another, and we're basically showing that we don't really love. When you love, you're going to share the emotions of a brother or sister in Christ. Now, the third thing, which is also very practical, and that's in verse 16, is to submit to the unity of the Spirit. Submit to the unity of the Spirit. In your relationships with others, this is very important. He says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind the same thing. Have the unity of the Spirit. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, or literally to low things. Not high things but concentrate on low things. The word condescend means to be carried away with something. If you want to be carried away with something, be carried away with a little thing. Let me give an illustration. Your little child comes in, he's just got a sucker. Hey, Daddy, look at this sucker I've got. Now look, son, I'm, I'm dealing with a great theological problem here over in the book of Deuteronomy, and I haven't got time. No, you see. Hey, that's fabulous. Can I have a lick? Listen, you want to get carried away with something, get carried away with a little thing. You put the cookies in the bottom shelf and all the kids will get them. You'll also experience the unity of the Holy Spirit. That's very important. People are trampled over and left out simply because we are not seeking the unity of the Spirit. Mind the same thing. Here's a new believer in Christ and an older believer who's mature, and he tries to correct him in his uh, attitudes and, and his understanding according to his maturity instead of according to that new convert's maturity. He lost sight, you see, of love again that doesn't mind high things, 
but is carried away with lower things. Or I like the way Paul said in Philippians 2, don't look on your own things, look on the things of another. Esteem others better than yourself. Be concerned what's going on in their life. This is very important. Now, secondly, the second area here, verse 17 to 21, this kind of hurts, so stay with us. It involves your reaction to what others have done to you. Now, if you've got love in your heart, we have to deal with this. You can't just hide from it. You can't run away from it. And your reaction to what others have done to you. Verses 17 to 21. Just four things here. First of all, in verse 17, I'd like you to notice the attitude that we should have. What kind of attitude should you have when somebody has done wrong to you? According to the Bible, recompense. Don't recompense evil for evil. Don't ever do that. The word recompense means to give back in return. Somebody has wronged you and you immediately say to them, well, here's what you get. Here's what I'm going to do to you. You think that in your heart. Somebody said something behind your back and in your heart you want to say something against them. Giving back in return, that is not love. That is not the attitude God wants. Instead, he says, provide things honest. The word provide means to think, to take thought of things that are honest, and the word is honorable, which comes to mean an honest life. Think the honorable things about people. Don't try to tear them down. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.8 that whatever things were lovely, pure, of good report, if any virtue, if any praise, think on these things. Don't give back and return evil for evil that's been given to you. But instead, think on that which is honorable. Now, the second thing I want you to notice in verse 18 is the acceptance of all things. The acceptance of all things. Learning to live with it. If it be possible, if you're able, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. The word peace means to bind. The root meaning of peace is to bind. The ideas of harmony. People bound together, therefore they're in peace. In the body of Christ, we need to be bound together and be at peace. We have a lot of problems. People say things they shouldn't. But learn to live in peace. Accept all things as from the hand of God. You'll be so much the happier. Let me give an example. Friend comes up to you and says, John, have you heard what so-and-so said about you? Now, you know, nobody likes to hear that, you know. No kidding. Well, it's not true. I can give you 14 reasons why it's not true. God never wants you to do that. You know, you don't have to defend yourself. Did you know that God's going to defend you? You don't have to defend yourself. Not at all. You know what you should say to live peaceably with all men? Say, well, you know, John may be right. We'll have to leave that to the Lord. You know, the next time you say that to some friend who wanted to tell you a good bit of gossip about you, man, they'll just be floored. Uh, you didn't hear what I said. I said, John said this about you. Oh, oh, well, that's all right. Whatever the Lord wants. Evidently, he wanted it to be said about me. Can you accept all things? This kind of hurting a little bit, isn't it? Boy, I read this and wanted to close my Bible. No matter what people say about you, are you, are you willing to live at peace with all men? Even the ones who said that about you? You see, the Lord wanted it to be said. See, all these things like sandpaper, they're causing friction, but they're also rounding off the rough edges. God is using all of this to mature us and to form us, live peaceably, accept all things as from the hand of God. 
Don't get uptight about it. Don't try to resist it. Don't try to return back. Just say, praise the Lord. I guess he wanted that to be said. Now, if everybody's saying nice things about you, you've got to worry anyway, because Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. So let's be a little careful. Now, if they're constantly speaking bad about you, you've got another problem. But you see, it's important to understand this. Now, the third thing, verse 19, is the avenging should be left with the Lord. The avenging should be left with the Lord. God never wanted any Christian to try and get back at another Christian. Never. You, you may think you're right, but you let God settle that. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Some of us need to go to friends right now and seek their forgiveness. Because instead of letting the Lord deal with it, we've tried to deal with it ourselves. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. You do not have to vindicate yourself. God will do that. He'll show in time. He'll reveal the truth about the situation in time. You don't have to vindicate yourself. The fourth thing, which is so important, verse 20 and 21, here are the actions that you should cultivate in terms of the people who have done wrong to you. What kind of things should you do then to them? Well, here's what God says. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome by evil. Don't let it wipe you out. But overcome evil with good. Just get to ministering. Just let your heart of love share to people so much you'll overcome the evil. That's possible according to the Word of God. You know, nothing drives a person crazy who loves to argue than a person who won't. Have you noticed that? I mean, they really love to argue. Nothing like a good fight to stir up the, you know, old sin nature. But anyway, they say something else. And they're so excited about fighting. And when somebody won't fight, it just drives them crazy. Have you noticed this passage, verse 20 and 21, in life? Have you noticed that? Oh, we see it all the time. Don't resist. Don't fight back. Some guy at work you know is trying to get ahead. He's stomping on your toes to get there, and you know it. Don't worry about getting back. Listen, just commit it to the Lord. You say, you mean let people walk all over you? Well, God says that in Ephesians 4. He says, with all lowliness, which means carpet and walk on. Be like a carpet and let folks walk on you. I can't do that. Why not? Well, I wouldn't get ahead. <laughs> oh, see, our motivation isn't correct again, huh? Rejoicing in the hope. Who cares whether you get ahead? The Lord might come today. I mean, what are we so concerned? Well, I won't make the kind of salary that I really could make if I did. Oh? Why, you could lose the job once you get it. God can do a lot of things. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What's our motivation? What are we after? If we're seeking to minister, if the love of Christ is in our heart, then why are we trying to get revenge? Why are we trying to react to those who react to us and do us wrong? Minister to them in love. Now will you come, before we're through, to the first two verses of Romans 12 and look at them carefully again. Now, last Sunday we talked about commitment, presenting your body to God. Here are the practical areas of love. If we really are committed, this is going to be seen in the life. 
Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present or yield your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. No life is better described as being that kind of a committed Christian as a life that is loving is manifesting the love of the Holy Spirit. Christian, I ask you again as we asked last Sunday, are you really committed to Jesus Christ? To make this decision in verse 1 does not deal with going to the mission field or full-time service or anything like that. It deals with your commitment to God personally. Are there areas in chapter 12 that are just speaking against your life? Is that whole chapter a testimony against the fact of your commitment? What are you going to do about it? Present your body as a living sacrifice, to be willing to come with a humble spirit to God and say, God, I know that's not true of me. Romans 12 is, is just absolutely opposite the attitudes I've had. You're willing right now to acknowledge that before God and say, God, I know that I've been going my own way. I can see that now. Maybe in all good faith, you say, I dedicated my life to the Lord, but that chapter is an indictment against your attitude. And you know it now. You say, Lord, here's my life. I know that I am not manifesting Christ. I know that I'm not committed to the Lord. I see that now. Are you willing to turn that over to him right now? Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And how it convicts us and shows us what is wrong and what is right. There's a great need for love. So many people talk of it. And God, we need the love that performs, the love of God that acts, that does. Father, I pray in our service here right now, publicly, I, I'm asking you, Lord, to really speak to our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, convict us, Lord. Shake us out of whatever lethargy keeps us from this commitment. Whatever thing is holding us back from dedicating ourselves to God, of recognizing these deficiencies in our life and our need of Christ, manifesting his life through us, we might come to that place of surrender today. God, I pray for that individual here who has never come to that assurance of his relationship to God, that if he would die right now, he'd be in heaven with Christ. Father, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would lead them unto yourself that today would be their day of decision. For those who have recently believed in you, God, give them the courage to publicly confess that before you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're able to do. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.